Hello, and welcome back to Wellness Wednesday with 3W. My name is Helen, and as always, I'm so glad to be with you today. If you've been listening to our podcast, please remember to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Wellness Wednesday is sponsored by 3W Medical for Women, a medical clinic that provides free reproductive health care services for women in the Seattle area. And today we'll be joined with none other than our very own Dr. Susan Rutherford, who's 3W's president and medical director and my dear friend. And what are we going to be talking about today, Sue? So we're talking about breast cancer, and the reason is that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and you'll probably be hearing this after October because we've had some uh, you know people out of the office and things, so it got a little delayed, but still, Breast Cancer Awareness Month should be every month, I think. I agree. So what are, let's, let's just go ahead and get started, and what are the risks of breast cancer? So basically, a lifetime risk for any one woman is about 12%. That means about one out of eight women sometime in their life will have breast cancer. That's not the same thing as the death rate, which is lower. I'll talk about that later. But it's very interesting that one in 100 breast cancers actually occur in men. So, yeah. Uh, You never think about that. No, you don't. So breast is the most common cancer you find in women and followed by lung cancer, then colon cancer, but the highest death rates in lung cancer followed by breast and colon and colons again in third place. So breast is number one in how often it happens and number two in causing deaths. Okay. So just getting back to your one out of a hundred breast cancers occur in men, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we do, any, do, we do it if, if a man needed to come in and talk to you about that? Could they make an appointment at 3W? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. It's interesting. One of the big risk factors that I want to talk about today is the family history. And, and that would include whether it was men or women in the family that had breast cancer. And for men, wow. if they have like both a mother and a sister or something like that that have breast cancer, their risk is above average. There aren't any screening guidelines for men, though. Why is that, I think? I don't know. Well, probably because, relatively speaking, it's rare. Um, You know, it seems like it'd be a lot easier to examine the male breasts, (laughs) too. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. Maybe they'd notice something more easily if there was a lump that got started. I don't know. Possible. That's so interesting. Okay. um, How lethal is breast cancer? Well, the five-year survival for new breast cancer diagnoses is about 90%. That means 90% of people will will survive at least five years. However, breast cancer historically has been notorious for having not too bad five-year survivals, and then at 10 or 15 years, it shows up again. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure the five-year survival rate, which is what is used to compare a lot of cancers, is totally helpful. It still means that, you know, even though there's a 90% survival at five years, you still don't want to have this. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, of course. Of course. And does early detection help? Yes. One reason that the outcomes are better than they were a few decades ago is uh, that early detection has gotten better and better, primarily the quality of the imaging. 
the quality of the mammograms, but also the additional imaging, the ultrasounds and the MRIs that can be done. The other reason that it's better is because the treatments have improved. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. And I only know about chemo. Is there other treatment? Yeah, actually one of the prime, well, there's surgical removal of the cancer, but you can just remove the, the uh, cancer called the lumpectomy and maybe take lymph nodes out of the, of the armpit and then do radiation. I'm not sure right now how common that is compared to a full mastectomy, but a while back, things were transitioning to when possible, it was a lumpectomy rather than a full mastectomy. That depends partly on your background risk, the type of cancer it is, like is it a, a, is it a slowly growing one or is it an aggressive, fast growing one? Mm-hmm. So once you get a diagnosis, then a whole team of people would get involved, you know, a cancer, a breast cancer surgeon radiation oncologist, the the chemotherapy specialists, all of those people collaborate and um, have sometimes what they call tumor a tumor board where they review cases and then they talk among the specialties about what's the best option for this person. Should they have mastectomy first or radiation first or chemotherapy first and then mastectomy or chemotherapy and then radiation or how you know for each person it's individualized. In some ways, I find that really comforting that you have a team, if not community of specialists coming together to help you. Yes, that's that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of places that that have some real, in the Seattle area, we have some really outstanding resources at a variety of the hospitals. You can't, it's not like just go this one place for this cancer. There are a lot of groups that have um, become real centers of excellence in treating breast cancer. Yeah. So. Okay. And what are some factors that affect someone? So the main risk is is that it occurs most commonly in women over age 50. So a lot of the guidelines for screening are are based on age, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But the other big thing is the family history and the genetics. People may have heard of BRCA1 or BRCA2. Those are specific genetic mutations that put people at a very high risk of breast cancer. The clue to whether or not your family might have that, you might have it, is whether or not you have more than one person in the family with breast cancer, particularly first-degree relatives. A lot of times now, people are being tested. If they have cancer, they're being tested for those genes so that they can uncover whether or not other family members need to also get tested. Then wasn't it one of the, uh, was it Angelina Jolie that had like a double yes. mastectomy? Yeah. Yeah. Because of her, her genetic status. Yeah. Yes. So I think people are more aware because of events like that. Yeah. I think her mom had breast cancer or something like that. Yeah. And she had, the, she had a genetic mutation. So Yeah. Yeah, so that's really that's really important. You know, there, there. I just recently read a paper about how, who should be referred for genetic counseling, and there's no really good data or consensus on which population. If you just have one relative with breast cancer, then probably the genetic counseling is not necessarily a worthwhile endeavor. So, you know, stick with your cancer team, and they'll be the ones to say, hey, you know, with your family history or your type of breast cancer, you, we need to do the genetic testing and your family members need to do it. So the people that are treating you are probably going to be the best guides to that. Another interesting risk for breast cancer is an increased exposure to hormones. So the breast cancer incidence is a little bit higher 
in women who started having their periods before they were 12 mm -hmm. or went extra long before they went through menopause, they menopause over age 55. And of course, that's not anything you have any control over. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there is some control over whether or not you take hormones. And it was really interesting. Women were often put on estrogen because of the hot flushes and other menopausal symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, estrogen alone has a slight increase, but estrogen plus progesterone has a much more significant increase. The problem is, is that you need the progesterone to, if you have a uterus to protect you from endometrial cancer, cancer of the line of the uterus. So the big question becomes, should we, you know, for a while, it's been like everybody that's going through menopause should just go on hormones. Now that's being questioned. So I heard, I saw it written and I think it was the CDC said certain oral contra contraceptives, but they didn't say which ones mm -hmm. or which types of contraceptives. So that's still, you know, most of the, most of the literature on contraceptives doesn't, doesn't bring this up. They, it's, Interesting though that if you have if you don't have full term pregnancies, especially if you don't have them when you're relatively young, maybe before thirty, then your risk is a little bit higher. You know the question of is the risk greater if somebody has an abortion or a miscarriage? Well, it doesn't appear to be greater if you have a miscarriage. The national societies say that it's not greater for abortion either, but there is some good data, so I think that that uh, is still up for discussion. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not it's not a big increase, not something that we can say say is a clear result of right. that. Other risk factors: being overweight mm -hmm. <laughs> and increased alcohol intake. So, you know, people talk about some alcohol intake being helpful for your heart, you know, reducing uh -huh. heart disease. But, you know, I think everything in moderation. Yes. that's clear for not only this, but lots of other cancers in our overall health is the importance of exercise. Yes. So having a moderate weight and exercising are really important for breast cancer, as well as the whole long list of other health problems. Yes. So people that had like a, a lymphoma and had to have chest radiation for lymphoma of their uh, uh, along in, that was inside their chest and they were younger than 30, they're going to have an increased risk. So, you know, radiation exposure to young age. There's a question about screening. So if we get into screening, well, before we go to that, I had a question. I haven't been able to find any information on this. And I think it's because like many cancers are, they're probably most of the breast cancers are it's the number of years before you might see effects from something that's done like extra hormones. What makes me wonder what's going to happen is with all the men being given female hormones now. Yeah, there's no data. There's no data, oh, yeah, right? Are they are they are these people putting themselves at increased risk for breast cancer now? Wow. And if they have implants to develop a female shape, yeah. Um, then it, it's definitely harder with the, the mammography is harder. The ultrasound, everything's harder to image when you have uh, breast implants. Yeah. And so the detection of breast cancers could be delayed. It's just plain harder to see. So what are we doing wow. <laughs> to those people? You know, has anybody discussed that with them? Right. Um, I don't know. I've been able to find data on that, but I sure wonder. Well, it's such um, a new concept, right? It's such a yeah. new thing that people are doing these days. Yes. It's hard to wrap your hands around. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a puzzle, but you know, that's why people should probably take time 
mm-hmm. and think about what choices they make for uh, lots of lifestyle choices. You know, for me, it's like, should I really have that extra piece of chocolate? <laughs> That's awfully hard to resist. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Do you want to talk about screening? Yes. There isn't, other than trying to minimize your risk factors, there really isn't any prevention. So the focus okay. is on the early detection. I remember as, as long ago as the 60s, when we were being taught as young, young girls that you should start doing monthly breast self-exam. That's been tossed out recently. And even having a doctor or nurse practitioner at your physical exam, even having a breast exam is saying, well, that's not necessary. And instead they're saying, well, women should kind of be aware in case they notice something. And some of that information comes from studies that show that the mortality, the death rate from the breast cancer is not different among populations that either did that kind of screening or didn't do it and just waited until something popped up and then, and then, you know, and then took care of it. What there clearly is an improvement in is if you go ahead and do the recommended screening with imaging, the mammograms in particular, then that's the best early detection. So if you're at really high risk, like a genetic or family history risk, Mm-hmm. something like that, then uh, you might start mammograms as early as 30. But otherwise, for average risk women, the recommendations start as early as 40, maybe 45, depends on whether you listen to the American College of OBGYN or the American Cancer Society, you get different information. I thought the American Cancer Society uh, website that I just recently reviewed was very interesting and helpful. And and I think it would be easy for a lot of people to read. So I kind of like that. They recommend 45. ACOG says 40. And then there's options of every one to two years. Is there, is, is it better? Because I know there, there's been patients that have come through our clinic that were in their 30s or 20s. Yes. That you have helped personally detect. Yes some sort of lump in their breast. So it's not unusual that people in their 20s and 30s get it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. We did have one patient a couple years ago that came in and and, I mean, from my exam, I knew that it it was breast cancer. The way I knew and the way women could uh, get suspicious would be in her case, if you just saw her sitting on the exam table with nothing on top, basically naked on top, you would see that one of the breasts had kind of this pushing in dimpling effect, kind of a pulling in of the skin. And what happened was that the the breast cancer creates an inflammatory response. The body tries to fight that off and form some scar tissue and it kind of pulls on the surrounding tissues. And so that created that sort of indentation. And then when you felt in that area, you felt something hard felt something really firm. Mm-hmm. Most of the time until breast cancers get large, it, pain isn't a big clue. A lot of women are worried because they have a little pain in their breast. You know, it's theoretically possible that pain could be the symptom, but it's not very often the presenting symptom. It's usually the lump. And usually it's something that's pretty hard. And because of this inflammatory scar tissue reaction, it starts to feel kind of stuck. It don't not because normal lumpy bumpy glandular breasts, you know, all the tissues move all over each other. You know, yeah. they're soft and they move all over. Maybe some rubbery stuff in there, but if it starts to feel like something's sticking in a spot, that's yeah. not good. Yeah, and you can come in and talk yes. to Dr. Rutherford. Come it. in, come in. Yeah. So what I've done is I've referred people to. I've given them like a. Uh, some it depends on their insurance and their programs or at some places where they might go. What I'll do is I'll give them a requisition 
So a piece of paper, and on that I describe the situation. I have a picture where I draw what my physical findings are on that form, and it's paper, and I give it to them for them to take to where they're going to get their breast imaging. And ultimately, I leave it up to the breast cancer imaging experts to decide, is this a mammogram only? Is this a mammogram plus MRI, mammogram plus ultrasound? You know, what do they do? So, but that's the process for women that come into us. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So just just to go back on my question again. So if you do detect something in your Uh 30s, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. No, that's right. That's right. It's not like, quote unquote, the required age. Yeah. Yeah. There have been, you know, we're always as physicians, we're always kind of medical legally nervous, which means physicians (laughs) will tend to order a test to be sure so they don't get sued for missing something. You know, but but every once in a while, I'll have somebody and I talk with them about what they noticed, how it related to their menstrual cycle, because the breast, the feeling, the way the breast feels will change, will change with their menstrual cycle. And some, I've had a couple of people that that I've just had them come back, like in a month or so, and we've done a re-exam and what we thought could be a problem had completely resolved. So those people I've said, well, you know, because you felt something and you weren't sure if you'd like, I'll give you this paper and you can go have a mammogram or you can decide not to. And, and some of them have said no. And some of them have said, yes, I'd really like to be reassured by the imaging. So I leave it up to the patient. They're the ones that know their bodies the best. I can find something that talks to me as a, as a specific abnormality, but yeah. if they're not certain and they know their breasts, it's like, we need to trust the patients. Right. Yeah. yeah. We empower the patients to trust what their bodies are telling them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I've never had a mammogram before. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do they hurt? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, no. Well, the imaging has gotten a lot faster, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's gotten much because the technology and the increased computing power and everything. What they're trying to do is they're trying, you know, when you get a chest x-ray, you stand and the, and the beam goes completely through you. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the beam to go through the breast tissue without going through your whole chest because uh-huh. the ribs and everything will disguise what's seen on the, the black and white image. Yeah. And so, they're, so you're, that's why they're trying, they kind of smash the breast a bit and uh-huh. to have, to make it as flat as possible. So okay. that the beam can go through the breast tissue without going, and of course, the breast, you can't pull them off the chest to image them. <laughs> exactly. You <laughs> yeah. know, so there's a certain amount of really struggling to get as tight as possible yeah. um, next to the chest. And that's what, that's what makes it, it makes it hurt that pressure. But it's actually pretty quick now because they can image so fast, the computing power, the imaging capability. And um, yeah, sometimes yeah. people shouldn't be worried. About half of women have what's called dense breasts on mammogram, which means there's a lot of sort of white patterns showing up. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a harder pattern in which to spot the really white looking breast cancer elements at an early stage. So sometimes women like that will end up with extra imaging, like, a, like a, an ultrasound, possibly an MRI, depending on various factors. And the ultrasound doesn't hurt. The MRI doesn't hurt. So, but sometimes those are added in if, if they can't clearly see something and they can't be certain that they can rule it out with the yeah. mammogram. What can men do for early detection other than, you know, coming in and talking to someone like you and, you know, I'd say, I'd say exams. 
I'd say, you know, a, phys a physical exam is probably the best general thing. If you notice that, uh, I mean, we're all lopsided. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've all got one side bigger than the other, yeah. and one foot a little longer than the other, and one hand a different side. You know, we're, our ears are different. You know, yeah. we're, <laughs> our right and lefts are not exactly symmetrical, you know. So, but we know our bodies. So if they notice that something's really looking different in that what they are used to seeing, then that's when they should get examined. And I'm not sure what the first imaging is for men. I doubt if it's a mammogram. It's probably more likely an ultrasound, the first imaging uh, step. Okay. And we wouldn't be able to ultrasound them. No, we can't do that kind of ultrasound. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And then where can people get more information about this? Well, I mentioned the American Cancer Society website. I think it's like acs.org, I think. There's some pretty decent information on cdc.gov. Many people know how to look up CDC now. <laughs> it's a very popular website. Very popular website, yeah. And also American College uh, OBGYN, which is acog.org. Those are, those are several really good references. Okay. And it's it. You think it's easy to navigate and understand? Yes, yes. Okay. Sometimes you have to do a little clicking, but usually they have a search box. So if you okay. put in, uh, if in the search, for instance, ACOG website, you put in breast cancer, then up would come a list of documents related to that. Some of them designed for prof healthcare professionals. Some of them right. designed to answer patient questions. Right. And you can, you know, look at some of that. Some of the professional stuff is limited to members. We have to pay for it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So if a patient, you know, if a listener was, you know, looked it up and still didn't really understand what they were reading, could they come in and talk to you? Absolutely. You know, I think our, our clinic's really about helping people understand their situation. I think the most important person to get lab reports, to get imaging reports, to get surgical reports, to get all that stuff is the patient. Yeah. And a lot of times those things are kind of just, you know, they see somebody, stuff is ordered. And then they kind of hear, oh, yeah, it's normal. But they really don't understand what the test was and what, it, what that normal result meant. And yeah. so we kind of like to do it differently. We like to fill in that gap because if the patient understands what's going on, they're going to be most efficient at going where they really need to go and not wasting their time, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard you spend so much time when you call patients back for their labs or anything like that, you take such good care and time with each patient because it's, it's their labs. It's not, yes. ours. you know, they should be empowered with the information. Yeah, that's well, right. That's, that's so good. Yeah. Um, well, well, thank you so much for, for this episode about breast cancer awareness. And it's been so informative. I know I get to learn so much from you. And to our listeners out there, if you have any more questions or concerns about breast cancer, breast cancer screening, please make an appointment with us. We're very accessible to you. And come on in for a well woman checkup. There's, there's no harm in that for peace of mind. And it's time to wrap up our episode. I'm sure there's plenty still to talk about this topic, but unfortunately, we're just out of time. As always, thank you for listening to 3W Medical for Women. We provide free reproductive health care services for anyone in the Seattle area. You can find more information about us by going to our website, which is 
3wmedical.org. That's the number three, the letter W, then medical.org. And for our listeners, there's so many other podcast episodes that we've recorded with Dr. Rutherford, with other guests, with other medical providers. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, please go to our website, hit that podcast tab on our page, and you'll see all the episodes that we've recorded recently. And if you like what you're hearing, please remember to subscribe and never miss out on a new episode. So until next time, stay healthy and be well.